0: love seeing that. That gets me excited because so many people every week are giving so much to make just this part happen. You know, this isn't all that we do. It's easy to, to walk in and go, man, this is this is Grace Church, Barbering Campus, but this is only part of it. And so many people are giving in such incredible ways to make all of this happen. And we've got lots more help that we could use. And so if you guys are looking for uh, kind of the next step in Grace Church so you're attending services, many of you already plugged in. Serving in different ways, but if you're not and you're looking to take that next step, two things that I would really encourage you to do. First one is grace groups, right? A grace group is the way that we do community. It's small groups. We've got eight different groups right now that meet on the weekends and Sundays. I'm sorry, yeah, Sundays and during the week, I should say, right? That uh, kind of are all over the place for different folks, different times, all that sort of thing. And it's a great way to connect and develop relationships with folks. That's the first thing. Second thing is just to jump in and serve in some way. We would love to, everybody's wired in different ways, right? Like we got different passions, gifts, skills, all that sort of stuff. We would love to help you get plugged in to use your giftedness for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body. And so if you are interested in doing that, kind of taking that next step, we'd love to help you do that. In your program, you got a little connection card in there. You could fill that out. You could mark it on there. If you have something you know you want to serve with, awesome. We can help you do that. If you're not sure and you just need to talk to somebody, we would love to talk to you and help you do that as well. Um, Also, on the back, Tyler's going to come up afterwards tonight. and He's going to give us some announcements and stuff. But also on the back, if you have something on those uh, connection cards that we can pray for, for you, we would love to be praying for you. Um, And then next week, we're going to do baptisms. So if you are interested in being baptized, I'm really excited about this. If you're interested in being baptized, we're going to do it next week. We're going to do it right here, right smack here in the middle. It's going to be awesome. And hope that we don't burn anything out with the water and electronics next to each other. I think we'll be alright. So anyway, uh, if we can help you get connected, we would love to do that. Tonight we're going to wrap up the series that we've been in for the last four weeks called Get It. And what we're doing is we're looking at the gospel and we're saying this is really foundational. For us as a campus of Grace Church, this is really foundational to us. This is part of our DNA, our purpose statement of Grace Church. We see our purpose as igniting a gospel-centered movement by knowing it, living it, and giving it away. And it is the gospel. And so a few weeks ago, when we started off the series, we talked about it. Like, what is it? What is the gospel? And I went through, and I gave you one way to communi- to understand and to communicate the gospel. I'm not going to go back through that, but I would really encourage you, if, uh, if you have some questions about the gospel, or need to understand it deeper, go back. All the stuff's online. Go back and listen to that. But I ended up challenging you, saying, have you gotten it? Like in your own life. Have you, have you embraced the gospel? Have you embraced the good news about Jesus Christ? Is it a part of your life? And if you have, can you communicate that to other people? Can you communicate the good news of Jesus in a clear, concise, heartfelt sort of way? Right? That's what we talked about the first week. Two weeks ago, we talked about know it. And we said, as people, once we get it, we've got to continue to know it. And we said, it's different. Knowing it, knowing the gospel and the God of the gospel is a little bit different than like maybe we would know things in school. In school, you learn something, you sort of move on to the next thing. But this is different. Right? Knowing God is like it's, it's like any other relationship except on steroids. Right? Like when I get to know somebody, I meet them and I get to know them about this much at first. Right? And then as time goes on, you get to know them deeper and deeper and deeper because people are complex beings. Right? Well, God is incredibly complex. There's so much to him. And so knowing it for us is this process. Right? I'm getting to know God. I'm getting to know the gospel more and more and more in my life. And we said the gospel uh, I'm sorry, we said knowing it is something that fuels living it and giving it away, right? So getting to know God, getting to know the gospel and the God of the gospel fuels me to live it out in my life and it fuels me to give it away, right? And so last week we talked about living it and we said there's lots of terrible reasons to live out the gospel. Like let's just be honest, there's lots of terrible reasons to to live the way that this book tells us to live and if we get it wrong, we're in big trouble, Right. If I'm living for the wrong reasons, it's going to mess up many other dominoes in our theology and our understanding of God. What we said last week is, this is kind of a summary of last week's sermon, once I get it, Christ's love compels me to live it. Once I get it, Christ's love compels me to live it. That's our motivation. He loves me. He loves me so much, so completely, so totally. And when I love him too, I want to live my life in a way that honors him, right? I'm not choosing to live it, you know, because I'm trying to earn something from God. I'm trying to earn his favor. That ain't why. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to keep something, you know, like I have to perform in order to keep this gift of eternal life that he's given me. That's not why we're doing it. I'm not doing it to try to appease God because he's angry. I'm not doing it to try to manipulate God in order to get blessings and prosperity from him. That's selfishness. I love him, right? I'm his child and he loves me. He's my daddy and he's already given me everything. And so I I look at my life and I live my life the way that he wants me to live because he loves me so much, so completely and so totally. And then the last, kind of how we ended last week, because we're talking about blind spots. Like, we all have blind... You know, you're driving in a car, you have a mirror here, and you have two mirrors over here, right? But then you have some blind spots around the car that are just kind of out of your purview. It's hard for you to see. Well, we have blind spots in our faith many times, too. We have blind spots in the way in which we live out the gospel in our lives. And it's really important for us to not just ignore those blind spots, but instead to turn our heads and look into them, right? And we said, like, when we recognize we got a blind spot, what do we do like, how do we change that? What do we do? We try harder. Nope, that's not it. I'm just gonna gut through it. No, that's not it. Are, are we driven by guilt to change it? Oh, I feel so guilty all the time. I'm doing the wrong thing. I feel bad. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I guess I'll change. Nope, that's not why either. The way that we change these things is we lean into our relationship with Jesus, right? Like, we get to know Him better. Remember, we said knowing it is what fuels living it in our lives and giving it away in our lives. So, when I I recognize that I have one of these blind spots, and we can't be okay with having blind spots. Like, well, this is just something I've struggled with all of my life. Baloney. That's a defeatist attitude. We're not defeatists. God has power living inside of us in the form of His Holy Spirit, right? We can't be okay with our blind spots, but we need to change them, and the way that we change them is we lean into that relationship with Jesus. My life, whether I want it to or not, whether I recognize it or not, my life has an impact on everybody that I come in contact with, especially when I claim to be a Christian. And that kind of leads us into our discussion tonight, into giving it away. Because part of what we get a chance to do after we get it, and as we're getting to know it more, right, and as we're living it out in our lives, part of what, compelled by the love of Christ, part of what we get to do is give it away as well. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. On the back of your programs. I don't have a program up here. But on the back of your program, we leave it blank intentionally. And we have pens in the back. So if you want to write some of this stuff down, that maybe this week, you can kind of think about it again. It's easy to come and listen and then go, oh, okay, you walk away and never think about it again, right? Until maybe next week when I remind you about it, right? So maybe if you write it down, that helps. It helps me. So anyway, if you write it down, this is kind of where we're going today. Once I get it, so I already said, once I get it, Christ's love compels me to live it, right? Well, once I get it, Christ's love also also compels me to give it away. Okay, So I want you to grab your Bible. I want to kind of dig into this. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and flip it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we got a whole table full of them back there. It's page 937 in the church Bibles. So this is where we were at last week. And I want us to kind of dig in and look at the following verses after what we touched on last week. As you're flipping there, I want to say this. The challenge tonight is not so much trying to understand what Paul says. Like what Paul is saying here is not that complicated it's not rocket science the challenge tonight is doing it is choosing to apply it to our lives what does it look like for I understand what he's saying what does it look like for me to apply this to my life I don't know maybe that's maybe that's kind of the challenge of all of Christianity right like it's not that complicated but applying it to me and absorbing it into my life is real is the real challenge so I want to start with the verses that we looked at last week second Corinthians 5 starting in verse 14 this is what we looked at. for Christ. So Paul's writing to Corinthian Christians, okay? And he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's what we That's what we looked at last week. That's what we digged into. I'm a new creation when I trust in Jesus. I have a new identity and I am loved more than I could possibly imagine. Right? You are loved some of you need to hear that tonight. You are loved more than you can possibly imagine. And now that I know that I'm loved that way that love causes me to live my life differently. Right? Compelled by Christ's Love. I choose to live it. I choose to live out the gospel in my life. That's what we talked about last week. But look at the next verses. Look at verse 18. Paul goes on, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so what's what's Paul saying? What's he getting into here? Well, he kind of continues his thought. Once, once I get it, Christ's love compels me to live it. But it doesn't just compel me to live it. It also compels me to give it away. Christ's love compels me to give it away. It compels me to share the message of reconciliation with others. That word compel is It's a powerful word, right? It means it means it forces me. It it compresses me. Some of your translation might even say controls me, which I don't know. That kind of sounds a little little bit strange. But it reminds me of like a squirt gun. I had my son bring me in a squirt gun. Reminds me of you have to decide if this is filled or not. (laughs) Right. <laughs> it reminds me of a squirt gun. When you have a squirt gun, it's not filled, and you have water inside of it, and you pull the trigger. Oh, it's got a little bit there, right? Where I am this like me there. You pull the trigger; it compels the water to project out. Right? It forces the water to come out. The water doesn't have a choice in it. That compels it to do that, right? That's what Christ's love does for us. His love is so intense, it's so powerful, it compels us to live a certain way. It compels us to give away his gospel. I'm not compelled by any of the other things that we talked about last week, right? I'm not compelled to do this to try to earn God's favor, to try to keep God's favor, to try to appease an angry God. I'm not compelled to do it because of guilt, or because I'm seeking prosperity, or blessing, or any of those things. That's not why I give it away, right? I'm compelled by Christ's love to give away to others what God has given me by sharing the message of reconciliation. So I want to bring out, I want to bring, so that is our foundation, okay? I want to bring out kind of some of the specifics here, some of the specific things that Paul's saying, because I want to make sure that we understand them. And the first thing is reconciliation. He uses that word reconciliation. kind of a big word. He uses that word a lot in this passage. You probably have a basic understanding of what reconciliation is, but let me take two minutes, just two minutes to explain it, because biblical reconciliation is a little bit different than maybe we would use that word today, okay? You look it up in a dictionary, you'll find something like this. This is the dictionary definition of reconciliation. The act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again, I like that, after an argument or disagreement. It's reconciliation. The act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. To to be reconciled is to be made friendly again. I like that. I think that's a good definition. But in the Bible, there's actually a little bit different twist to it. It has more of a direct meaning of exchange, to exchange. I didn't know that before this week. This is what reconciliation, exchange, is what the money changers would do back then. They would exchange something. They They would reconcile money. Money for uh, equivalent values. is what money changers do today. If I go to Paris and I have U.S. dollars in my pocket, I want to exchange, I want to reconcile them to euros, right? That's what you do. It's fascinating. So the question is, what's being exchanged? When you think about biblical reconciliation for us, what's being exchanged? You ready for this? This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. Reconciliation for us is the exchange of my sinfulness... Jesus' righteousness think about that this is what reconciliation is. It's the exchange of my sinfulness and your sinfulness for the very righteousness of God. I am reconciled to God because the perfect, righteous, sinless Jesus offered his life for ours so that he could take all of our sin, all of our ugliness, all of our impurity, all of our guilt upon himself. It was imputed. The, the, the theology word is imputed. It's like it's bonded to him. right? My My ugliness is bonded to him and his righteousness is imputed, is bonded to me. That is absolutely incredible. Oh my, that's reconciliation. I become friends with God because God exchanges my sinfulness for Jesus' righteousness. Golly, just, just think about that. Like, you know your own heart. You know all the stuff that you've done, right? I know all the stuff that I've done. God knows every last bit of it. He sent Jesus to exchange your sinfulness for his very righteousness. So you have a new identity. We've talked about identity a few times the last few weeks, right? You have a new identity when you're in Christ. God doesn't see imperfect you. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus when he looks at you. That is absolutely incredible. I know that's kind of deep. I would challenge you this week, chew on that a little bit. Because the implications for us in our life are amazing. Like, think about the security that you have. Think about the free That you have to live your life When you know that God sees Jesus' righteousness inside of you It's huge But look at verse 18, he goes on He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. I'd love for you to take a second and write this down. Ready? I have been given a mission. I have been given a mission. Your mission, my mission, should we choose to accept it, is to share the greatest news that there ever was with any and everyone that we come in contact with on the face of this giant planet. That's our mission. That's the mission that you have. That's the mission that I have. I have a mission here. Like my job while I'm here after I come to know Jesus, my job isn't just to kind of hang out, wait till I die or Jesus comes back. That's not my job. That's not my mission. My mission isn't just to to just sit here and live a quiet life and not really disturb anybody, just live it to myself. That's not my mission. My mission isn't to to walk on eggshells with people and worry about potentially offending somebody by the way that I live my life or my personal beliefs. The church is for the world. Jesus left us here for a reason, right? We, he gave us a purpose. He gave us a mission. He didn't. If, if he didn't leave us with a purpose, he would have just snatched us. Like Think about that. Why did he leave us here? After you and I came to know the Lord, if he didn't leave us with a mission, he'd just take us to be with him. But instead, he leaves us. I've got a mission. You've got a mission. Please hear this tonight. You have a mission in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. God didn't call you to save the world. He already did that. What God is calling you and me to is to save our world, is to save my world by telling people the good news of what Jesus has done for us, right? Like, that's the mission, the people that he's put in my life, to give the gospel away to them, sharing with them that Jesus made this incredible exchange, their sinfulness for his righteousness, if they would accept it. Our job is to give it away, and I don't know what you think about that. Like, if you think, that, like, our culture and our community and what's going on, like, it's easy to think, well, everybody has, like, a basic understanding of who Jesus is. That's not true. It's not true. More and more often, here's what happens. People my age and younger, they drift away from church, right? Maybe they went when they were younger. They drift away from church. Then they start having kids, and they never take their kids to church. And their kids have no experience with Jesus. They have no idea who he is, Right? We have this incredible privilege and mission to give away the best news that there ever was. It's amazing. And then look but look back at the text. He goes on. Let, let, me, let me review. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That that's the exchange, right? That's, that's the exchange of reconciliation, that last verse, verse 21. But in verse 20, he says that we're Christ's ambassadors. Maybe you want to write this down. I am Christ's ambassador. Don't write we, write I. I am Christ's ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? I looked it up. Here, here's what it says. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. I'll read it again. An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Now think about that. I think about that. In terms of you being Christ's ambassador. An ambassador only has power when he or she has been given power by by the one or by the country who sent them, right? We've been accredited by God as his ambassador. He validates me. He makes me official. I'm his representative. Whether I want to be or not, whether I recognize it or not, I'm his representative. If you call yourself a Christian, you represent him everywhere that you go, right? This, this is a deep thought that I really want you to think about. I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and it, and it just kind of rocked my world, and I want to share it with you. Think about this. You are God's manifest presence, you are God's manifest presence to everyone that you come in contact with. You are God's manifest presence. Do you know what I mean by that? You are God fleshed out. You are God's presence to everyone that you come in contact with. Think about that. Think about that in your life. You know what you might be? You might be the answer to somebody's prayer somebody who's been praying to God that he would send help. That might be you. You are God's manifest presence. You might be, you know, somebody who's struggling with depression and discouragement and contemplating suicide. You might be the person that God sends to them to help them, right? You might be the encouragement from God that somebody needs when he's calling them to step out and take a risk. You. You might be someone's rebuke from God who's kind of fallen off the deep end and they're struggling and God's calling them back. You might be the one that he sends. See, you you represent God as his ambassador. And like every other ambassador, you and I are sent to a foreign place. Ambassadors don't stay in their hometown, right? They don't stay in their home country. They're sent somewhere else. They're sent to a foreign country. And us, as Christ's ambassadors, we're sent to a foreign place too. And you know what? It could be hostile, The place that we're in, the world that we're in, can be pretty hostile, and it has great need. Maybe you want to write this down. This foreign place has great need. You and I are ambassadors sent to this foreign place, and this foreign place has great need. Do you know what the fastest growing segment of the population is in terms of religious affiliation? Like when they do surveys, when they do religious surveys and they find out kind of where people are at spiritually, do you know what the fastest growing segment is? Nuns. Not like Catholic nuns. I don't know if that's a fast growing segment or not. I have no idea. But N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. You know what nuns are? Nuns are the people that on those surveys, when they ask what religious affiliation are you, they go all the way to the bottom and they, they mark none. I, I have no religious affiliation at all. Maybe they were connected in some way to a particular denomination, church, religion. Maybe they had absolutely no connection ever. I was was reading, I had to look this statistic up again because I couldn't believe it when I read it at first. Uh, George Barna said in in a study that came out in 2014, last year, he said that 43% of the population, almost half of our population are nuns. They are either de-churched or they're just purely unchurched. They have no connection, no spiritual connection at all. And most of them are under 30 years old. It's growing. It's growing incredibly... It's it's supposed to grow incredibly fast, that number, in the next few years. It's amazing. And it's grown 10% in the last 14 years. The number of people that have no religious connection at all. It's incredible need, and here's the thing this is what's fascinating. More than two thirds of them, 68%, more than two thirds of them believe in God, and about a fifth of them, 21% of those, of those people that are nuns, they say, I'm none, I'm nothing. Two thirds of them believe in God, and almost a fifth of them pray every day. Every day, you know what that tells me? Their spiritual hunger, they're hungry, they're searching. Either they've been hurt by people like you and me that don't represent Christ very well, that don't live it very well, or they've just never heard. They've never heard anything at all there's interest there's need if someone would just take the risk and give the gospel away to them imagine what god would do imagine what would happen see we're we're in the minority now right america is not a christian nation there's no there's no moral majority now and guys i wish it were different but a christian america is not our ultimate goal it's not our ultimate goal there's a guy named Russell Moore he, uh, he's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist, he's, a, he's an amazing dude he's really really insightful, I'd encourage you to read anything you see by him, it's Russell Moore, this is what he says he says, America is important but the end goal of the gospel is not a Christian America the end goal of the gospel is redeemed is, is redeemed from every tribe every tongue, every nation every language, we belong to another kingdom, do you feel that? This is not this is not our kingdom. I love America. America is not my home. America is not my kingdom. Right? This is a foreign place to us if we follow Jesus and that shouldn't surprise us. I think we've gotten maybe a little bit spoiled over the years. But now who we are, what we stand for, what we do, what we believe, it's a little strange to our culture. It's a little bit weird to our culture. And guys, that's not such a bad thing. I mean, look at that and go, oh, I don't, I don't want to be the weird one. I don't want to be the strange one. You know what? It's not so bad to be weird. It's not so bad to be strange. You know why? Because the gospel's strange. It's crazy. It's not normal, right? It's not ordinary. It's not acceptable. It's not cool. It's none of those things. It's crazy. What God did for us is crazy. Crazy good, but crazy nonetheless. And our culture and our world is crazy in different ways. And sometimes that can drive us crazy. Right and then it could res- it could cause us to respond to the world in a way that Je- to look at the world in a way that Jesus never intended us to look at the world like it 's a war, us against them they 're so terrible. we stand for goodness, righteousness, morality, and the world 's just going to pot and they 're immoral and they 're unjust and they 're violent and they 're selfish they 're oppressive they 're apathetic to things that are important. guys listen, this is so important. The world is not our enemy. The world is not our enemy. The world is our mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, the world is your mission. The world is not our enemy. Compelled by Christ's love, right? To love them and tell them about the God who loves them and calls them out of darkness wasn't that long ago that I lived in darkness. I spent a lot of time in darkness. I bet you guys did too. Aren't you glad that somebody entered into the darkness not as your enemy, but as somebody that loves you, compelled by the love of Christ? Wasn't it Jesus who said in John 16, In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Why should we expect anything else, right? I'm telling you, we as Christians, we can complain so much, so loudly about how the world is going to pot. But just like a beautiful rose sticks out on a bed of of dead and rotting thorns... So does the gospel, the incredible news of the gospel, stick out across a backdrop of violence and selfishness and apathy and oppression and injustice, right? It's beautiful. And we have to be people who are rose bearers, not people that are adding to the death and decay. That same guy, Russell Moore, he said this. He said, Christians are becoming aware that there's a large portion of society who'd be relieved if all evangelicals were raptured. You know what that means? Rapture means like taken. I think he's Right? I think there's a lot of people that look at us and they go, man, this world would be a lot better if the Christians weren't there, if the evangelicals weren't there. Guys, I think that's true, and I think that's shameful. I think that's shameful on our part. And if we're part of the problem, we better search our hearts a little bit. The old sage pastor in Atlanta, Charles Stanley, said, invest your life in such a way that the people you leave behind are better because you were there. They're closer to God because you were there. I like that. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ sent into this foreign place accredited by Jesus as his official representative with a very specific mission, a very specific mission to help other people be reconciled to God. If you are a follower of Jesus tonight, that's your mission should you choose to accept it. So, so, how do we do it? Like, what does this look like? If I want to live this out, compelled by the love of Christ, if I want to give the gospel away to other people, like, what, what do, how do I do it? What does it look like in my life? And I realize that for some people, this is like a scary thing. You know, it's a big scary thing that we think, I'm incapable of, you know? I, I'm not a very good speaker, you know? I don't know very much. What if they ask me questions that I'm not prepared for? You know, I'm not an evangelist. We can say stuff like that, and I hear you. And I understand, right? But I want to I just give you a few things to consider as we talk about this in our lives. What does it look like for me, compelled by the love of Christ, to give the gospel away? Let me just tell you a few things to keep in mind. Maybe we'll help. The first thing, and I've got to be, be kind of quick with this, but the first thing is this. God's Spirit is in us and with us, and we have the best news ever. <laughs> God's Spirit's in us. We get a little nervous, right? Like, I don't know. I don't don't, don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. I don't want to say any of the wrong things. Listen, God's Spirit's in you. He's with us, right? You're not alone. And if, and if we listen to him and open up our heart with him and we get to know him better we spend time with him he'll give us the words to say I promise you he will and by the way we have the best news that we could ever share with anybody right reconciliation with God God loves you God is for you you can be friends with God we don't have to be God's enemy it's the best news ever right that's the first thing that, I, that God's spirit sent us and I got the best news ever second thing I will be real honest and truthful Something to keep in mind. As we talk about giving the gospel away, compelled by love, I'll be real, I'll be honest, and I'll be truthful. No one likes fakeness, right? No, no one likes to feel manipulated like somebody's not being honest and real with them, like they're putting on an act. No one likes that. It's disgusting, it's annoying, and it's repulsive, right? It makes you want to stay away from that person. I was reading another book called You Lost Me. It's an interesting book. It's it's about why people are leaving the church. It's by a guy named David Kinnaman. And uh, he's talking about folks who used to go to the church and left. And that's what he said. He said, they're frustrated with the slick and shallow expressions of religion. In some of our research, we discovered a common theme to be, I want to be part of a Christian community that's more than just a performance every week. Similarly, a frequently expressed sentiment was, they want a more traditional faith rather than a hip version of Christianity. People want realness. People want authenticity. Authenticity. People want to connect with the real God and they want to hear how God has affected you in your life. Which leads to the third thing. That's the second thing. Be real, honest, and truthful. Second thing. Third thing, be personal. No one can argue with your story, right? It's your story. No one can say, no, that didn't happen to you. you. You didn't feel that. No one can say that. Share with people what God has done inside of your heart. It's amazing when, when when somebody tells a story, like if I'm preaching up here, and I say, you know, the other day, it's amazing how people go, huh? Everybody loves to hear a story. You just love it, right? Our lives are a story and people want to hear your story and what God has done in your life. And it's not that hard to share your story, is it? Like, I could could share how much I love Marsha and our relationship and our history. It's really easy for me because I love her. She's my wife, right? It's the same thing with God. Like, if we love Him, if we have a relationship with Him, it's really easy to just share my experiences about what He's done in my life and what He's doing in my life. That's the third thing. I'll be personal. Fourth thing. I got five of them. Fourth thing. I'll be prepared. We focused on this the first week, right? I so, said, man, we've got to be people that are prepared to share the good news, to share it, the gospel, with people in a clear, concise, heartfelt way. And if we can't, there's no excuse for that, guys. Like There really isn't. If you can't, I would really, really challenge you to spend some time thinking through this. How can you share the good news? Whether it's the eight words that I talked about, week one, or you know, a bridge diagram or the four spiritual laws or whatever. It doesn't matter the tool that you use, as long as you can explain it to somebody in a real heartfelt way, like you've thought through it. One of the questions when I became a pastor, it's funny, one of the questions that they ask you, so you stand, I I sat before a board of, I don't know, 10 other guys that are much more mature and experienced than me and they ask you a bunch of questions. One of the questions they always ask you is, you're sitting in a hospital with somebody, they're dying, they want to hear about Jesus, you got two minutes, go. It's a good exercise, right? Can you communicate the incredible news of how God has changed you and what he's done clearly, concisely, and in a heartfelt way? That's the fourth thing. Will I be prepared? The last thing, will I be, and maybe this is the hardest thing, I don't know. Will I be consistent with my life and my message? Is my life and my message consistent? Can I be honest with you? I think we do more harm than good when we preach one thing to people or we talk to people about one thing and then our lives say something really different. Like if I'm talking to people and I say, man, there's nothing like being able to pray with God. When you love Jesus, you got a relationship with God. You can go to Him anytime you want, but you never pray. you you got His Word. It's powerful. I mean, there's so much truth and wisdom in it, but you never open it up. I, you, like when you, it's a it's a privilege to live for him and follow him, live your life according to his ways, but your life is full of secret sin like that's not good guys and it eventually comes out and it always hurts people it's hypocrisy right no one's perfect don't hear me wrong there not me nor anyone else no one's perfect but we know what hypocrisy is right when we're saying one thing and we're living something very very different in our lives are you pursuing what you preach and then then the flip side of that I, try, can I, can I, I said I'd be honest. Can I be honest again? It drives me crazy. This absolutely drives me crazy when people say and they try to convince themselves, I think they try to convince themselves, that they're actually giving the gospel away just by the way that they're living their life. Ah! I just just let my life do the speaking for me, you know? I'm living this way. I'm sharing the gospel with others by the way that I live my life. You know what my favorite quote is? St. Francis of Assisi, you know that quote? Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Listen, that is almost definitely, I I researched this, that is almost definitely not a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. And he's a guy that shared the gospel with words many, like a ton. Like if you actually study him, a ton, right? It's not just about You know what your life can do? Your life can invalidate the gospel that you communicate to people. But no one comes to Jesus because they say, Man, that Bruce, look at him. He's a great guy. He's living his life so well. He loves his wife and his kids. They don't come to the gospel for that. It might ask him, it might make him beg a question, right? I wonder why he's living that way. But at some point we have to share the good news, the specifics of the gospel with people. Our life and our message have to line up. See, you and I have the strange and weird and beautiful good news about reconciliation with God that's available to all of us through Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ sent to this foreign place, accredited by God, accredited as Jesus' official representative with a very, very specific mission to help other people be reconciled to God, to give it away. And, And by the way, we've got the best news ever, right? We believe it's the gospel that changes people. Let me ask you this. Do you want to change? Like, do you want to grow in your life? It's the gospel that grows us. As we lean into Jesus and get to know him better, as we live it out in our lives, as we give it away to others, it changes us. Do you have people in your life that you go, man, I care about them. They're self-destructing. It's the gospel that changes them, right? It's God through his word, through his good news, through what he's done for us in Jesus that changes people. Nothing else. We can't change people. You know what I pray every week? Every week when I'm getting ready for the, for sermons. You know what I pray? That God would do what only God could do and change people's hearts and grow us and make us more like him. That he would turn the lights on for us. Only he can do that. We're gonna, I need to wrap up. We're going to sing one last song. And when we go from this place tonight... I challenge you to be compelled by Christ's love. I challenge you this week to think about it. Think about who he is. Think about what he's done for you. And may that cause you to live out the gospel in your life. And not just live it, but may it cause you to give it away to others. May you look at others the way that Jesus sees others. And see the need that they have. And the incredible hope that we have in Jesus. May that send us out of here tonight.